0: So we are heading towards the great culmination of the story of the gospel. Jesus is, of course, in Jerusalem, and we are beginning to see all of the events crowd in on that single focus of the cross that we will be looking at very carefully in the coming weeks. The Bible is full of amazing stories, and and preeminently, the story of Jesus is a story of a hero who steps into the fray on behalf of those who cannot protect themselves, who cannot solve their fundamental challenges, and steps in, vanquishes the foe, and wins the victory on their behalf. And of course, it's on our behalf that that hero takes that journey, attends to the challenges, embraces the battle, and brings the victory home. And of course, the Bible is full of those kinds of stories. We'll be looking at this in the coming weeks. And just occasionally, just occasionally, we get to see inside the life of a person who's offered the opportunity… Of being a hero and they choose a different path they choose the path not of the hero but of the villain and perhaps in the same way that Jesus is the preeminent hero in all of scripture perhaps the preeminent villain at least human villain in scripture is Judas and today we're going to look at his story And we're going to seek to understand the process by which a disciple of Jesus could get to the point of not simply betraying him, but betraying him for money into the hands of people who would inevitably kill him. Luke chapter 22 and verse 1 begins like this. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So what is the process by which a person in such close proximity to Jesus is able to take a path of such terrible betrayal? What is the the process? What What is the pattern? And what is it that you and I can learn from that path, from that pattern. Because surely this is included in Scripture in each one of the Gospels for our our benefit, for our strengthening, for our encouragement. So what is the thing that God wants to teach us? Charles Swindle, when he was writing his series on the characters of the Bible did a brilliant exposition of the life of David and in that exposition he gave an insight into this path when he observed the process by which Saul became an enemy of God's purposes even though like Judas he had been called to the very forefront of God's calling and anointing. And the way that that Charles Swindle analyzed the path was that Saul became a hurt individual. And on the basis of his hurt, he developed and cultivated hatred. And on the basis of his hatred, he followed a path to hell. Hurt, hate, hell. I've got my uh, little magic pencil down here that's been recharging. Hopefully, it's charged enough now for me to be able to use it on here. So let's have a little look. See if we get, can, is this coming up on the screen this week or not? How are we doing? Oh yeah, good. So we've got we've got hurt, we've got hate, and we've got hell. Now. When you look at the life of Judas, it's amazing how you see the same pattern emerging. In all of the Gospels, we get to discover something about Judas that is perhaps unique to that particular Gospel, but as we put it all together, we get a very clear picture. Judas Iscariot was perhaps one of the violent insurrectionists in Israel at the time. The word Iscariot, many scholars believe, indicates that he was one who carried the Iscari. The Iscari was an 18-inch blade strapped to the thigh, hidden from view, that would be used by deadly assassins. And these assassins would look for opportunities to kill Romans and those who were supporting Roman rule. And so these freedom fighters, these violent men, would find any opportunity that they could to kill the occupying forces. Now we know that Jesus has already chosen a zealot, Simon the Zealot, And so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that that he would also choose somebody who within that zealot world was more of a kind of violent exponent of that particular philosophy. So Judas is an interesting kind of layered character from the very beginning. He's the treasurer, and John tells us that he would regularly steal from the money bag, Now, why would he steal? And why would he accept money from chief priests who he hated because they were colluding with the Roman rulers? Well, perhaps it's not beyond the realms of speculation to suggest that this man was seeking to support others like himself who had no other means of support to continue their armed struggle. Against Roman occupation. Now, of course, as we get there, we're on the edges of speculation, and really, you pay your money and take your choice. But this we know immediately before Judas went to the chief priests, something happened that hurt him. John clearly articulates it in his gospel. In chapter 12, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And Jesus has ministered to Martha and Mary, his two sisters. He's ministered to them in different ways according to their personality type. And we've looked at that in the past. And Mary, this this delightful, quiescent soul takes perhaps the dowry that has been left for the day of her betrothal and marriage that has, been, that has been invested into pure nard held within an incredibly valuable alabaster flask and she breaks the flask and she pours out the pure nard. A nard is a perfume or the concentrated of perfume that is so valuable, it's almost inestimable for us today. It's just incredible amounts of value that we're talking about. tens of thousands of dollars. And she pours it out upon Jesus, and the whole house is filled with the perfume. And the disciples are a little uncomfortable. I mean, it's a bit weird that Jesus would allow such an expression of intimacy between him and a woman. Of course, Jesus is not held by the conventions then or now. And so they're kind of grumbling and kind of giving all kinds of reasons why this is probably not a very helpful thing to happen. And Judas articulates that if this nard had been sold... We could have given the money to the poor. And then John says, of course, he he wasn't particularly interested in the poor. He was going to take some money and use it for himself. And I've suggested to you what it is that he might have been using it for. And this is what Jesus does. Very brusquely. Very publicly. He chastises Judas. Judas and the disciples leave her alone lots of exclamation marks leave her alone what's it got to do with you you'll have the poor with you always but what she has done is amazing and it'll be remembered from this time forward forever whenever the gospel is preached they'll get to know about Mary Now, public exposure to challenge is not anything that anybody enjoys. But if you have a fragile psyche, if you, if you have a fragility in your inner self, it can cause you to feel a level of shame that is perhaps greater than others. Whichever way you can be absolutely certain that Judas felt the hurt. And we can be absolutely certain that the next thing he did was an expression of hate because it would be inevitable that Jesus would die. And we can be absolutely certain that this led Judas on a path to a hellish experience and a destination assigned only for those who are in the hands of the devil. So how were we to kind of get to grips with this? Well, if we go back to the original story of hurt, hate, and hell, it might help us. So if you've got your Bible there, go right back to the beginning and find Genesis chapter 4. And here in Genesis chapter 4, you'll find the very first story that gives us an exposition of what it is that's going on here. Adam and Eve have been removed from the garden. An angel with a flaming sword protects the way back into the garden. They no longer have access to the tree of life. They have certainly no access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have no access to the intimacy that they shared as they walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. But the Lord's presence is still with them. And Adam and Eve, they they begin to produce children, and the first child is Cain, and the second is Abel. And they take on different occupations as they seek to, as it were, find a way in this world that's different from the one that had been planned for them in the garden. Abel, the younger of the two, begins to, to take care of herds and livestock, and, and, and is, a, is a man who is known for his capacity to do that. Cain is a farmer who, who produces vegetables and crops, and both of them bring the first fruits of their produce to the Lord. Offerings of our first fruit as worship are way, way older than any excuse you might have for not doing it, they give their offerings to the Lord, and the Lord accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. He rejects it. He doesn't just kind of say, "Well, it's kind of a B plus. He doesn't do that. He says. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a, it's an F. It's a fail. And Cain is not only challenged, but deeply upset. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You see... What's going on here is that something inside of Cain that had, of course, been born out of the rebellion of his mother and father was leading him to feel entitled to something that he was not entitled to. His attitude wasn't right. His behavior following his attitude was not right. And so the Lord would not accept it. But if you do... If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. He ignored God's challenge and invitation. Next verse. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son we might wonder what are the roots of the internecine strife that we see in the cities of our nation and the nations of the world. But you always go back to the first to find the defining reality. And the very first city was built on the bones of Abel. And the first culture of the first city was created out of the strife between brothers. No wonder it's so easy to see that happen again and again. But do you see the pattern? Hurt leads to hate, leads to hell. And you say, well, you know, this is fine, Mike, but I maybe had not made the connection between Judas and Cain and, you know, it's kind of interesting Bible study, but, you know, I've got dinner soon, and um, I'd like to eat something and talk to the people around the dinner table and, and not have roast preacher this week, so what's it got to do with me? Well, of course, these are human beings that we're talking about. And so this process is a process that each one of us can walk in each one of us can find ourselves connected to. So if you're prepared to come with me, dig a little deeper. When you go to Exodus 20, the second book of the Bible, you see God establishing his covenant with his people, the people of Israel. And when he establishes the covenant with his with his people he gives them 10 words he gives them 10 laws 10 commandments now here's the interesting thing it's it's René Girard who is undoubtedly one of the great christian philosophers of these last few decades he's just recently died he was a professor at stanford and a deeply committed christian in his book on philosophy called I Saw Satan Fall Like Lightning, one of the greatest philosophical works that I've read in years. He makes this point. The Hebrew word for envy is the same word as desire, is the same word as covet. It's the same word, chemah. It is it is a word that covers a whole series of emotional responses to other people. And so, we see another person, and we want to be, we want to be taught by them. And so, we see Aaron and, and um, Hunter up on stage today, and we, we think that they are interesting and attractive people. There's nothing untoward about that attractiveness. It simply is a sense in each one of us that we think, they're just great people. I don't think it was Hunter, was it? It was Morgan. Yeah, yeah Morgan. I just saw Hunter over there, but you know, maybe you were up there another time. So, so you, see, you see these people up there and you think, you think, I want to be like Aaron. There's a, there's a desire to be like them. Now, this is foundational to all of human existence. Children have been, have been measured to be imitating the facial movements of their parents when they're 45 minutes old. So, imitation connecting to another person and wanting to be like them is at the very heart, at the very deepest granular fabric of what it means to be a human being. And so we want to be like the people around us. We want to grow to be like the people around us. We want to, we want to learn what they know. We want to be what they, what, they, what they are. We want to do the things that they do. So this is, this is fundamental. Fundamental. But then something else happens. We see in them not something that we want to become, we see in them something that we want to possess. It's the same word, it's just another step. I've discipled lots of people over the years, and I've noticed this as a pattern. First of all, they'll say, wow, you know, that that insight of what God's saying is really, really profound. And then along the way, they'll say something like this, and they'll say it out loud the first time, and then they maybe don't ever say it out loud again. How come you get so many insights and I don't? What is that? And then maybe I discover that they're teaching things to other people that I've taught them as if it were they that came up with it. And there's lots of people around the world right now who maybe are conscious as this stream is going out via the internet that they're even earning money from the things that I've taught them and have never been given a license to do it. What is that? Desire becomes envy very quickly. Desire becomes envy very quickly. And this is how the Ten Commandments goes. The first commandment is about loving God. Having no other God but God. Setting aside your life so that there is no other worship in your life that is the worship of God other than the worship of the God. And then the next four commandments are really an expression of that love made large in the life of the believer. And then the last commandment is about envy, desire, and covetousness. You shall not covet anything that anyone else has because it's been given to them by God. And when you look back through the list of commandments that leads up to you shall not covet, all of them are prompted by envy, murder, theft, false witness, adultery. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. You and I are capable of envying another person for something that God has given them and resenting that it's not ours. And that is the path of hate. Because hate is articulated in the Bible as stealing. Hate in the Bible... Is articulated as false witness, speaking badly of another person. Hate is articulated as wanting another person dead. Jesus makes it very clear if you want it to happen, it's as bad as you did it. And so this path of hatred is available to all of us, and we choose that path very often when we feel entitled to take that path because we feel hurt inside. And so hurt leads to hate, leads to hell. And you say, wait a minute, Mike, wait a minute. We've just been singing songs that are clearly an articulation of the gospel and hell is not the place for Christians. Of course it isn't. But Christians who are going to heaven will be saved as through fire because they've been living their life as if they don't want to go to heaven. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. He says, see to it that you do not miss... The grace of God by allowing a root of bitterness to grow up among you. Isn't that interesting? You can miss grace because of bitterness. It's not that grace isn't available. It's not that grace isn't there. It's not that grace is not a constant reality from the heart of God. It's just that you can miss it. And how do you miss it? Because you're on the wrong path. You've allowed your hurt to become hate. And the path of hate is never the path of love. And only the path of love can give you the place of grace. And so the grace is available and you live as if you don't want it. Because you want bad things for those people who hurt you. Because you want something terrible for the people who've done terrible things to you. Is this making sense to anybody? Now Hebrews 12.5 that I just referred to there, for those of you taking notes, I know that you'll, you'll want to go and look at that. It's enormously important. You can't fall out of God's hand. You can't stop being saved. You're not not going to go to heaven. You can just live as if you don't want to. Now in Romans 5, maybe, maybe, I mean, In in the top three or four most important chapters in the Bible. You have a clear way of understanding that that even the translators of the New Testament feel, feel a little bit uncomfortable about translating. And I know you want to go deeper, so come on, let's dig deep. Go to Romans 5 with me. Now Romans is the Himalayas. And um, there are several giant peaks. And um, if Everest is is chapter 8, then K2 is chapter 5. That's just for the mountaineering fraternity within the congregation. (laughs) So here in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not something that's up for grabs. We have it. We have peace with God. He's made peace with us through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now what? What does it say? Stand. Yeah? So grace is a location. Yeah? Everybody see that? Grace is a location. We stand in grace. That means that if you move from that location, you're not receiving the benefits of grace. You still have grace available, but you're not receiving the full benefits of grace. That's why the writer to the Hebrews, which when we get to heaven, by the way, we'll find out that it was Paul who wrote it. But in the meantime, but in the meantime, I'll have to agree with all the scholars who don't know. But but the early church knew for some reason. I don't know why. Grace is something that you can miss even though it's constantly available to you because of the work of Christ that you've had faith in that's given you peace with God. I mean, surely you understand this. Surely this makes sense to you. I mean, are there days, are there days that you feel like you're not forgiven? Are there? Are there days that you feel like You're kind of far from God. Are you further from God that day than you were any other day? God didn't move, did He? He fills every space in the universe. You can't be any further away, and yet you feel it. He can't suddenly withdraw His forgiveness from you. You are forgiven. Now, this is tremendously important because this is deep in the psychology of what it means to be a Christian. And if you can grasp this, it will be a great victory for you today. Now, this is the bit that the translators of the New Testament find difficult. Verse 9. Since we have been justified, we talked about that a moment ago. Since we have been justified by his blood, which has been poured out once for all, completely efficaciously can never be done again how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath yeah there's only one problem with that translation the word God never appears in it because Paul is continuing an illustration based on location actually what it says, and you can go and find the Greek, and I can promise you, unequivocally, the word God does not occur in the passage. It's just been put in there by the translators. This is what it says. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath? From the wrath, or as my American brothers call it, the wrath We're saved from a thing. And the way that it is being described by Paul is that wrath, like grace, is a location. And so, wrath is a location. You feel it. It's like this. It's a howling wilderness outside of the city gates. Inside the city gates, it's an oasis. You live in the city, but if you go out there, it's really scary. Or like this I heard it was going to rain today. This is how you stay dry. Yeah? So I'm standing under grace. I've got all of the benefits of grace. Now, I've got all of the benefits of grace, and I'm still getting wet. How stupid is that? And this is how Christians walk around. Do you like my umbrella? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's one of the newest types, actually. It's, uh, it's really quite something. And people are saying, um, have you noticed that you're getting wet? Yes, I know, but what about the umbrella? Isn't that awesome? See to it that no one misses the grace of God by allowing a bitter root to grow up. If you know Jesus, you're not going to hell. But you can be living as if you don't want to be touched by heaven. Don't allow the hurt to become hate. We're going to have some space available here. And um, when we're singing this last song, I'd love for you to come and sit here. And who am I inviting to come and sit here? I'm inviting the people to come and sit there who want to turn the hate and the hurt into healing and happiness. You see, you can be healed, you can be happy, and you can be hopeful. But this is what you need. You need to be humble. Hurt leads to hate, leads to hell. Healing leads to a joyful happiness that gives us hope again. But the only way you can take that path is to take the path of humility you see the difference between Judas and Peter was not a great deal but the real difference between those two men was that one was humble and another wasn't so if you have been hurt by others and that hurt is causing bitterness within I'm asking you to come and simply, in humility, ask for others to pray for you. It's not going to be complicated. They're not going to counsel you. They're just going to pray for you. Or maybe today you're the recipient of hurtful things that others have done to you. And Maybe today you've begun to understand what that desire and envy and covetousness can do in the person's heart around you. Maybe for the first time you've understood the mechanisms that perhaps are operating in the hearts of those who so regularly hurt you. It could be a parent. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. Come and be prayed for because you need healing too. And if you're online, then I'd encourage you to join us right there. I'm going to make Chad a co-host right there, which means that he can lead the prayer time and set you up in different prayer rooms as you come and join us there. So if you're online today, just press the link that connects you to the Zoom room. And come and join us there for prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved Judas so much that you died for him. Thank you, Lord, that the scriptures make it clear that there is no place that we can be that is beyond your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness and love. Forgive us, Lord, that we live lives with hidden attitudes that cause us, Lord, really not to receive the grace that you have for us. Lord, we don't want to live like this. We want to receive all of the benefits of the cross every day. And so release us now, Lord. Release us, Lord, from our hurt that we might be healed Release us, Lord, from being hurt that we might be healed. And do your work in us today that only you can do. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say. So don't hold back. Come and pray. Come and join us in the Zoom room. And there'll be people there who are trained to pray with you. Do it during this song.